fuck's going on, everybody? Artist part of the ring is here. It's queer. Uh, I'm not queer, but I am here. I am here for sure. Um, but yeah, today on the Apron Bump, we are going across the pond. <laughs> uh, we're having fun. Um, no. <laughs> we are once again diving in headfirst into progress wrestling. Who, baby? This is some good shit right here. Um, basically, so I had. I've gone back and forth on how I want to do these progress episodes, right? Because if you haven't listened to my first episode, by the way, I would strongly suggest you go check that out. Um, it's basically an intro to progress. So if you have no idea about this promotion, uh, where it is, what it is, when it was, who's in it, what's it about, anything at all, if you don't know anything about it, I suggest you go back uh, a few weeks ago to my intro to progress episode. Uh, just for some context here, but basically that I watched. So these these progress, they're they're separated into chapters. So an event will be a chapter, which is you know two to two plus hours somewhere in there. It's basically a pay per view event. Um, but at the time they were doing DVDs or whatever. But nowadays you can just go to their website. I forget what it is. You type in progress wrestling into Google and you'll you'll find it. But um. Right, they're separated into chapters, and for the first episode, I did the f- I watched the first four, but I didn't go into every single match and segment. I kind of just did a broad overview of what it was, just to kind of get the context of you know what the company was, uh, what their style was, what to expect, uh, certain storylines that were kind of getting seeds planted here and there. Um, kind of went over uh, crowning the first progress champion and. All that kind of stuff. So it was more of a broad uh, intro, overview, whatever you want to call it. For the rest of time, as I'm doing these reviews, they'll be more in-depth, more specific to the chapters, and I'll do a more in-depth review of these matches and the shows overall. So with that, let's get on with it. Chapter 5, getting served up hot for you right here on The Apron Bump. Chapter 5, for those about to fight... We salute you is the title of this chapter. Um, This was filmed in Islington in the garage on uh, Sunday, January 27th, 2013. Really, really good show here. Uh, Opens up with the match Danny Garnell versus Styx. Definitely kind of a, (laughs) it was an opening match. I mean, it wasn't, um, you know, it kind of fell into what progress has kind of um, kind of the image it's created for itself thus far, where the crowd, it, they play a huge part in the show. And you saw a lot of that in this opening match. A lot of uh, a lot of both guys jaw jacking with the crowd, a lot of funny chants. It took a while for this match to really kick in because of that. But it is what it is. Um, two pretty big guys. Uh, both have been on chapters in the past, um, but haven't had a really major spotlight. Uh, well, I guess that's not true. Sticks was in a pretty big match on one of the chapters, but yeah. So you have a lot of chain wrestling in the beginning, kind of trying to be within the ethos that progress has established for itself, and that it's about the sport of it. It's about you know British wrestling. It's about the catch as catch can 
uh, up close grappling. So that's kind of where this match starts, but then it quickly deteriorates into a striking brawl. Um, ultimately, Danny Garnell gets the win here with a uh, like a jumping tornado DDT off the second rope, pinning Sticks here. You know, Sticks is a big dude, and he seems like he has a good look. I'm surprised that he hasn't really. I think he got like one win out of because the, the, these guys have records, right? And um, this loss here puts him at one and three. So don't know if um, that's really going to have any bearing on his success. As I said before, I, I'm not very familiar with where they are in present day as far as uh, who's still around, who's not, uh, whoever, who wins a championship, who doesn't. But from what it, from what it looks like, Sticks is kind of <laughs> seems like a gatekeeper. Uh, I don't want to call him a jobber, but... And gatekeeper is probably a better word for that uh, early on. So Danny Garnell gets the win here over Sticks in the opening match. Uh, after that, we have another, uh, I believe it's a semifinal, no, quarterfinal match in the Natural Progression Tournament. So if you're just tuning in, this tournament uh, got underway in the last chapter. Um, it's basically a tournament for uh, lesser known guys at the time. Guys that people in the UK aren't as familiar with. It's a kind of a way to give a spotlight onto them, but also to incorporate stakes into it. So we have a tournament here. It's a single elimination tournament. And the winner of this natural progression tournament gets a uh, title shot for the progress title um, somewhere down the line. So uh, last chapter, we saw Will Ospreay get a win here in advancing a young Will Ospreay. And in this match here, we have Wild Boar, Mike Hitchman versus Lord Jonathan Windsor. Uh, <laughs> Jonathan Windsor is hilarious. I, I've, this is the, my, the first time I've seen him, um, but his presentation is just like cliche British guy, tea and crumpets and all that. Like it's really stereotypical British guy or whatever. <laughs> um and then you have Wild Boar, who you may be familiar with him if you've seen him on NXT UK. He's really primarily in a tag team with Primate. And they've had some pretty big spotlights on themselves as a tag team over there under the WWE banner. But as far as like a singles competitor, Wild Boar hasn't really uh, risen above much more than an enhancement talent over there. But that's amazing to see because... He had a really good match a few chapters ago with Mark Andrews. Good enough to where they brought him back, I guess. And uh, and in, in this match here with Lord Windsor, it was another really good match. A really impressive, almost kind of like a British Taz. Very, very, very stout. Very suplexy. Um, but very intimidating somehow. So, really love the presentation of both these guys. God, fuck Jonathan Windsor. Lord Jonathan, Lord Jonathan Windsor. Just that name is punchable. I don't know how a name, I don't know how an audio collection of sounds is punchable, but somehow it is. And then it even gets worse when you see this guy's face. I don't know anything about him, but I hate him. <laughs> Just from the look of his face. And then he wears a stupid cape to the ring and then he... He gets on his knees before the match and folds it up, you know. 
all that shit is just hilarious. And then the crowd starts chanting tiny penis at him. I I mean, I, I guess. that Does he? I don't know. Um, <laughs> as far as the match goes, like I said, really good. Boar spends the... So Wild Boar's finishing move is a package pile driver. And he hit a really, really gnarly one on Mark Andrews a few chapters ago, like I mentioned. Um, it was probably one of the biggest pops I've heard in all of these chapters so far when he hit that. Because it was like a package pile driver. But he like lifted him above his head and then spiked him down. Go watch that. Wild Boar versus Mark Andrews. I believe it's chapter two, if I'm not mistaken. Whatever the case may be. But in this match, the reason I bring that up is because he spends a lot most of this match just going for that package pile driver over and over again. He must have attempted it like six or seven times in a, I don't know, maybe a 10-minute match. And he never hit it. And ultimately, Wild Boar goes for a, a sunset flip pin. But uh, Windsor just drops to his knees, counters into a cradle pin, and uh, gets the three count right there. So Jonathan Windsor, just like that, gets the win and moves on in the natural progression tournament. Um, even though Windsor looks like a an ugly version of Alex Wright, I think I'm, uh, for some reason, I'm intrigued by just how dickish he is. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that as he moves on in the tournament. And after that, we have Nathan Cruz versus Rampage Brown. So we have Nathan Cruz, who was the first ever progress champion, um, but, but only held it for a few chapters until he lost it to Laguerre. But uh, we have Nathan Cruz versus Rampage Brown. And Rampage is a guy that I've heard of. I've seen pictures of him. I've seen still shots of him. I have never really sat and watched a match of his start to finish. So this is a first for me. Um, but from what I can tell, I'm thoroughly impressed by Rampage Brown. He's very hard hitting. Um, he's got a a great look. He's jacked. He's brutal. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what his background is, how long he's been wrestling. Um, you know, what other if he does any? It seems like it, it seems like a guy that does MMA just from looking at him. I don't know if that's a stereotypical thing or what, but um, just based just based on how jacked he is and his his, his physique. But yeah, definitely a, a good match here. And Nathan Cruz is a, definitely a standout so far. As far as as far as guys that I didn't know going into progress, I would say Nathan Cruz is probably the most impressive because you see a lot of these guys they they're they're really tongue in cheek with it because the crowd is like I said a huge part of it and they get kind of overcome with the crowd and interacting with them and kind of making a joke of it which is fine it's fun but Nathan Cruz is like a serious competitor he he's kind of like a mix between like Dolph Ziggler Zack Ryder and uh I don't know he's kind of like a, like a like a British version of Dolph Ziggler really I mean, he, he calls himself the show stealer, you know, and this is what, 2013. So Dolph Ziggler was a pretty big deal at this point. So it definitely it seems like there's some influence there. Um, but it's not a, a bad thing. It, 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 it translates into um, how well he bumps and how well he sells. Um, he paces the matches really well. And um, I think him and Rampage had some pretty good chemistry here. Really good match between the two. The ending stretch of this match has uh, Rampage hitting the Falcon Arrow onto Cruz, 
looks like he hasn't beat, but he says, no, 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 that's not it, which ultimately was his demise um, because he goes for something off the top rope. He puts Cruz on the top rope. It looks like he's going for like a back suplex off the top rope, but Cruz fights out of it, and then they start fighting again. Rampage goes for another Falcon Arrow, but Cruz is able to counter and get behind him, roll him up in an O'Connor roll, holding the tights, holding the ropes, every every heel trope you can throw in there. Gets Nathan Cruz the win here. That dastardly heel you, oh, you damn Nathan Cruz from Beverly Hills. Um, it gets a lot of heat, by the way, in London when you say this guy's from Beverly Hills, California. But yeah, Cruz gets the win here over Rampage. Obviously, Cruz lost the title in the last chapter, um, but it appears that they're going to continue to keep him strong, and I am sure he'll still be in the title picture um, in weeks after this. So, And Rampage looked super impressive in this match, so I have no doubt that we'll see more of him coming up as well. But after that, we have the Progress Championship on the line. Uh, not the main event, but uh, I think you'll, you'll figure out why later on, but... Championships on the line. We have the champion, Legero versus Dave Mastiff. Uh, two, uh, very, a very NXT UK matchup here. Uh, two guys that we've seen under the WWE umbrella. Um, but now we're seeing here with a little bit more of a spotlight than they've been given there. Obviously, like I said, Legero, the champion, beat Nathan Cruz uh, in the last chapter. And he is defending against Dave Mastiff, who is two and zero in progress. I like, I do like the uh, the win loss record thing they got going on here. People point towards AEW as if they're the first ones that have done it, but as you can see here, seven years ago, seven plus years ago, uh, these guys in progress were doing the same thing, and it really made Dave Mastiff look like a. Uh, a worthy challenger because he's had some big wins previously in progress. And as you can see, he is undefeated here going into this title match. So as far as the match goes, starts off really quick. So Legero, as soon as the bell hits, actually before the bell even, they do the little introductions before the match. And as soon as the ring announcer announces Legero, he explodes out of the corner and hits Dave Mastiff with a drop kick, knocking him into the corner, um, getting off really hot in this match. And, um, you know, as, as Legero is beating on Dave Mastiff here, I'm thinking to myself, man, Legero in progress feels like a star. He feels like he belongs. Obviously, he's the champion. So, I mean, you say what you will about that. Like, obviously, he feels like a star. When he's the title holder, but just his presence. It feels like he has more confidence here than what I've seen from him in NXT UK. I'm not really sure why that is, but whatever it is, Legero feels like a big deal. Dave Nasta feels like a big deal. And uh, they have a really good match here. Uh, there's one crazy spot where Dave Mastiff has Legero up for a suplex. And we, we, we've all seen the stalling suplex, right? Where a guy has him up in the air and just holds him there holds him there uh, but in this case mastiff holds him up there for 60 seconds which is impressive on both parts both on mastiff for holding him up and legero for having the core strength to stay vertical like that for an entire minute 
as the crowd is chanting along. So that was a really cool spot there. But after that, yeah, the match really, really kicks into high gear. Um, they're fighting on the outside. Liguero locks in a guillotine on Dave Mastiff, kind of has him down on the ground, seemingly passed out. So Liguero gets back in the ring and tries to get a count out here. Now, I'm, I'm struggling to understand if Liguero is supposed to be a heel or a babyface because he just beat Nathan Cruz, who was like the biggest heel in the company at this point. But now he's fighting Dave Mastiff as a kind of a chicken shit heel kind of manner, trying to get a count out here. But I guess, you know, it just puts over how impressive Dave Mastiff is with his pure size and meat and girth. I guess you got to do whatever <laughs> it takes to retain the title. But um, Liguero tries to get a count out there, but Mastiff makes it back in. Liguero then goes for the C4L DDT, which is basically a springboard DDT off the second rope. Mastiff catches him and hits him with a sick running powerbomb. A D'Lo Brown style running or, or Liguero, I guess. People are going to yell at me for comparing that to D'Lo Brown and not, Liger, or, uh, not Liger. Um, but Dave Mastiff hits him with this running powerbomb for a two count. Really good false finish. I, I, I honestly thought that was it. But then Liguero starts to fight back. Locks in the guillotine once again in the middle of the ring. And uh, he's, in, he's in this hold for a long time. You know, Mastiff teases. Because you see this. You see how Mastiff is like bracing his feet and his, and his hips. You're like, oh, he's just going to lift out of this and like slam him, slam him into the corner or something, right? So he teases that. He almost gets him up, but then he falls back down. Just doesn't have the strength to get Liguero up. And ultimately, Dave Mastiff passes out in the middle of the ring Liguero retains the progress title via submission. Really good match, really stiff looking, really believable fight between these guys. And I really like the finish as well. Even though, yeah, Liguero wins. He has this impressive victory. He retains the championship. And then they hand him this fucking goofy staff. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, at this point, progress does not have a title belt. They have a staff with like a fucking eagle on it. It's uh, it's something. It's unique, if nothing else. But <laughs> Liguero walks away with the staff, still champion, still goofy. Um, <laughs> but then uh, what do we have after that? After that, we have an open challenge from RJ Singh. Singh is a... Uh, I don't know where he's, he wrestled before this or where he wrestled after this. I think eventually he becomes a commentator for Progress, right? So I don't know if he's in 2020. I don't know if he's retired at this point. Um, but who knows? But he's basically like a Bollywood guy, you know, uh, for my WWE watchers out there. Just think um, the Singh brothers. They have the last name. But the Singh brothers, the Bollywood, whatever they call them, the Bollywood boys, the fucking 205 Live gender mahal henchmen guys right it's basically them just combine those two guys and you get rj singh so so singh is a heel and he's out there cutting a promo he has the director and his assistant are like his two henchmen managers whatever you want to call them one guy has a megaphone one guy is just i don't know being annoying somewhere else and singh is starting to uh, get annoyed with them himself but uh Nonetheless, he's out there to issue an op open challenge to anyone in the progress locker room. And then out comes 
Daryl Allen, which if you're not familiar, because I wasn't going into the show, apparently RJ Singh and Daryl Allen are a tag team, you know, wrestling, wrestling all around the UK. But in progress, they have not been a tag team. In fact, they have actually been against each other. But Daryl Allen comes out to accept the challenge. Uh, Singh basically says, is, you know, is this some kind of joke? Because Daryl Allen hasn't won any matches so far. I think he's 0-2 at this point. And RJ Singh has won two out of his three matches. And I believe his one loss was in a triple threat or something. So Singh's been pretty impressive. And Allen has not been. So... Singh is kind of berating him <laughs> before the match. He's like, well, why am I going to bother fighting you when you haven't even won a match or whatever the fuck, you know? Um, but then he ends up accepting it and they end up having the match. And it's very clear that these guys know each other very well. As I mentioned, they're a tag team. So they obviously have a solid amount of chemistry together. And that really shows in this match because they were with each other every step of the way. You know, the chain wrestling in the beginning was so smooth, dude. It was so well done, so believable, and like I said, just really smooth and effortless. And it really um really entertaining to watch as well. The whole match was. Um but yeah the match starts out like I said with that chain wrestling. Guys are counter have every each guy has a counter for everything that the other guy has. Um, showing how well they know each other and showing that they're going to have to pull out some new tools in their toolbox if they're going to want to get the win here. Um, and then <laughs> there was one funny spot in this match where um, Allen is on the ground in the middle of the ring. Singh is in the corner and he's basically like tuning up the band, getting ready for a sweet chin music. And <laughs> before before he hits it, he goes, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> fucking goes for a super kick on Daryl Allen. Um, obviously, an homage to the Michaels Ric Flair match from WrestleMania 27. Um, 27? No, 24. Sorry. WrestleMania 24. But Allen has this scouted and reverses the super kick into a, into a German suplex with a really good bridge. Uh, just a two count, though, on that exchange. Singh starts to fight back and then he goes for his. <laughs> One of my favorite things anyone does in progress right now. So uh, RJ Singh's finisher is the Campbell Clutch, right? But he calls it the ethnic submission. Oh, man. Because, you know, every brown guy has to do a Campbell Clutch, right? And Singh is kind of poking fun at that. And <laughs> he does it, you know, before he does it, he lo before he locks it in, he goes, ethnic submission! And the crowd chants it with him. It's such good shit, dude. Um, but Alan obviously has that scouted or, you know, maybe he just heard him scream ethnic submission. So he fights out of it. He, he reverses the ethnic submission into a roll up pin and that gets him the one, two, three. Daryl Allen beats RJ Singh here and really good match. Like I said, flowed really well. And after the match, we have a little post match shenanigans here. RJ Singh offers to shake hands after the match. Allen says, friends don't shake hands, friends got a hug. So <laughs> Daryl Allen just goes in and hugs RJ Singh. But then Singh's assistant and director, his two goons at ringside, come in and attack Daryl Allen. But RJ Singh does not approve of this. So he stops them from attacking him. 
The assistant spits in his face and Singh's face, pronouns pal. The assistant spits in RJ Singh's face. Daryl Allen super kicks the assistant in the back of the head. And then the director runs off with his stupid megaphone or whatever. I don't know. It was all a bunch of silliness, but apparently RJ Singh and Daryl Allen are now a tag team in progress. They have been a a tag team in the past, apparently, but now they are together in progress, which is good because, you know, they don't have any titles at this point or anything, but progress could use some valid or um, some viable tag teams because you have what we have in the main event, but otherwise you don't really have a lot of uh, high-level tag teams in progress. So this show, to me, seemed like it was... Uh, structured to build up their tag team division. And I say that because in the main event, we have the London Riots versus the leaders of the new school. So we had the London Riots, which is a team comprised of Rob Lynch and James Davis. Just two thick boys, really hard-hitting tag team, really British strong style-esque tag team. And they are facing the leaders of the new school, a team comprised of Marty Skrull and Zack Sabre Jr. Who doggy. I, uh, these guys, Marty and Zack, had probably the best match thus far of progress on their first chapter. Really amazing chemistry between those two guys, and they've gone on to have countless other matches together. But here they are a tag team. I guess they're a pretty regular tag team on the UK circuit. And... um Yeah, and they're facing up against the London Riots, which at this point, the London Riots have been by far the most dominant tag team in progress. So, like I said, trying to build up a tag team division here, you have the dominant tag team versus a team that has not tagged together thus far in progress, but are two impressive wrestlers. So, really good that this is situated in the main event. And... um, and they even play to that. You know, the, when the riots come out for their entrance, they come out before Singh and Daryl Allen have gone to the back. So they kind of have a stare down as they're like walking past each other, building a little tension there for a future matchup, I'm sure. But yeah, just adding some more webs to the spider web, as some may say. Nobody says that. But this match is hard hitting right away. Um, the match gets off right away with a boot. From Zack Sabre Jr. onto one of the riots. I kind of get confused on (laughs) which riot is which. Um, I think the guy in the singlet is James Davis. And the guy not in the singlet is Rob Lynch. But who cares, right? So, (laughs) um, but yeah. An insane chemistry between Marty Skrull and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Both against each other and with each other. And in this match, you can see how well they work together as a tag team. Just like um, just like in the previous match. When you're in a tag team with somebody, you have that innate chemistry with the other guy. You know where they're going to be, what they're going to do. And that's very clear here as well with uh, Zack Sabre and Marty Skrull. And the Riots, the London Riots, are a great foil for them. Because like I said, they're just big dudes, strong dudes, really hard-hitting, stiff. And they're up against the finesse of uh, the leaders of the new school here. Really good match here. Ultimately, the end of this match comes when Marty Skrull is holding up James Davis for Zach to give him a roundhouse kick. But Davis ducks 
and kicks Marty in the head, knocking him out of the ring. The, the London Riots capitalize on this with a doomsday device, followed by a double-team powerbomb for the win. London Riots get the win here in the main event, further solidifying themselves as the premier tag team in this promotion up to this point. So, And I don't know if they're teasing some tension between Zack and Marty as well, or if that's just how the match ended up. Whatever the case may be, they could be setting that up for the future or not. But like I said, awesome, awesome match here. Uh, I loved how the styles kind of blended blended together. Like I said, the hard-hitting powerhouses versus the technical wizards of Marty and Zack. So awesome match here. Good match to close the show. And like I said, looks like we're finally getting some sort of tag team division in progress. So look forward to see how that pans out. I... Honestly, sitting here, don't even know if they have tag team title belts. I assume they do, but I'm only assuming. So, we'll see how that progresses. <laughs> Chapter 6, titled, We Heart Violence. I want to make it clear that it's not, we love violence, it's we heart violence. <laughs> this was uh, from... March 31st, 2013. Uh, once again, filmed at The Garage in Islington. And boy howdy, this show is probably, no, not probably, definitely my favorite chapter thus far for a lot of reasons. Um, you get a lot of good matches, obviously, as these progress shows you usually put out. Uh, but you also have uh, storylines, like really engaging storylines starting to at least begin to unfold. Um, and you have a tag team division that continues to build onto itself. You have more and more characters starting to be less flat and have more depth to them. It's not, it's not that they're flat. It's just like, you know, with any... Any wrestling promotion that you newly get into, or any TV show really, you know, you get all these different characters thrown at you that you don't know anything about. Uh, you can barely remember their names, you, uh, <laughs> and much less know what their personalities or motivations are. But as I'm going through these chapters, I'm beginning to uh, already, I mean, chapter six, and I'm already starting to get invested in a lot of these characters, which is good to see. In addition to, you know, title matches and tournaments that have very clear stakes, all of that kind of combines into making a really good show. And I really, that's why I really enjoyed Chapter 6 here. But the show opens up, which by the way, Chapter 6, even though I'm only at Chapter 6, it sounds like I'm like just beginning. This is the one year anniversary of progress, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, I guess, you know, there's a few months in between episodes, so... Makes sense when you look at it that way, but uh, crazy to see. I bring that up because the first match is Noam Dar versus Dave Mastiff. Now, Noam Dar, you probably know him from WWE and you've seen him, how he looks, how he wrestles. But that's not really how he looked in the first chapter. Chapter one, Noam Dar was in the very first match and he looked like a fucking twink boy. <laughs> he looked basically like he does now, but skinnier and with more of a a 14-year-old skater boy haircut. You know what I mean? Uh, looked like a child. 
a year ago, but now he's kind of filled out a little bit and he's looking closer to what he looks like uh, in current day in NXT UK and 205 Live and stuff like that. But even though he's filled out, he's put on a little bit of muscle, not nearly enough <laughs> for his opponent, Dave Mastiff. So we got Noam Dar versus Bomber Dave Mastiff. Uh, sorry, he's Bomber in WWE. In progress, he's the bastard Dave Mastiff. So, and this match is for the number one contendership for the Progress Wrestling Championship. So, got some stakes added to this match, which is always good. And uh, the match gets underway. And you know, if you if you know Noam Dar and Dave Mastiff, you pretty much have an idea of what this match is. You know, it's Noam using his technical ability and his speed to kind of chop down Dave Mastiff, and Mastiff's just using his raw power to kind of counteract that so while the style was rather predictable still a really really entertaining match here towards the end of the match uh dave mastiff seems to have noam dar beat but then you hear the music of nathan cruz and this is like the first time they've used an angle like this an angle like this rather uh wwe like which kind of not annoyed me, but I was like, oh, they're gonna they're just doing the typical WWE thing here. But when you look deeper into what's happening, it all makes sense, right? So Nathan Cruz is he he bills himself from Beverly Hills, California. Even though when you listen to him talk, he's clearly not from there. <laughs> so, you know, he's he's from California. He looks like a like a guy that'd be in WWE. He has the blonde hair. He's very Dolph Ziggler. I think I mentioned that before, but he's very. He looks like just like a a, a a store brand version of Dolph Ziggler at the end of the day, which is fine. You know, he has his own style to add on top of that. But there's a lot of reminiscence there. So he comes out with his music playing and all that, and he's wearing a shirt that says "Screw Indie Wrestling." But kind of, kind of heavy-handed there. But you know, it's an it's an effective thing to kind of get over what he's trying to do here. He's out here doing the whole music playing, interrupting a match. It's something you would see in WWE. And now you have to understand that the whole premise of progress, the whole reason that it exists, and the whole reason that people are drawn to it, is the fact that it it is not WWE. It is not sports entertainment. So Nathan Cruz is kind of embracing that. He's kind of portraying himself as a sports entertainer, which, I mean, instant heat with the crowd because that's not what they want. They want strong style. They want British catch wrestling. They want the sport. They want the world of sport back in their wrestling in modern day. And Nathan Cruz just spits in the face of that. And also, I want to mention, Cruz has a bodyguard with him. Pitcher Hitman. But uh, seven foot tall and uh, ugly. And then you got this bodyguard. Apparently his name is Fug. Fug. F-U-G Fug. I don't know, man. That sounds like a slur of some sort, doesn't it? I mean, is it? I hope not. I hope I don't get pulled down for saying that. But <laughs> So Nathan Cruz comes out with his, with his bodyguard Fug. To distract Dave Mastiff. Dave Mastiff is obviously distracted from all this hullabaloo. Which allows Noam Dar to roll up 
Dave Mastiff pulling the tights, grabbing the ropes and all that for the win. Nath, uh, sorry, Noam Dar beats Dave Mastiff and becomes the number one contender for the Progress Wrestling Championship. So what you have here is a little feud brewing between Cruz and Mastiff, um, furthering Nathan Cruz's character as a sports entertainer. And you have Noam Dar, who is a guy that's wrestled on almost every one of these chapters so far. Maybe there's like one where he wasn't on, but he's been a, a mainstay in this promotion at this point. And he's more than deserved a title shot. So good to see that. Good to see that he will get a uh, future spotlight in the future. So future spotlight in the future. But nonetheless, really good match and uh, kind of a screwy finish, but it all made sense in the end. So after that, we have another quarterfinal match in the Natural Progression Tournament. Uh, once again, this tournament is a bunch of uh, newer guys, fresh faces, and the winner of the tournament will get a Progress Wrestling Championship match sometime in the future. And we got Paul Robinson versus MK McKinnon. Uh, Paul Robinson, I mentioned in my previous episode, uh, is one of the guys that really caught my eye. Um, I had no idea of him before this, but I love... He's kind of a smaller guy, but he has that kickboxing background. And, uh, you know, combined with his high flying and all that, it really makes him a pretty complete wrestler um so i really enjoy watching him wrestle because he's just so fast-paced and uh just so so good so technical and fast-paced which is a uh, something i'm drawn to personally and then you have mk mckinnon which if you don't know who th this guy is and i do not this is the first time i've seen him picture uh shane douglas in 1994 um, and then decrease his size by like 30%. <laughs> and then you got MK McKinnon. Um, I poke fun at that, but he was pretty impressive in this match, as was Paul Robinson. Really good. Pretty short. Um, but it was good to give these guys some spotlight, some newer faces. A couple good false finishes in this match. You know, MK hits a brain buster into the Shining Wizard. And I legitimately thought that was it. Uh, but Paul Robinson was able to kick out of that. And um, eventually... Paul Robinson hits the biggest leg drop ever, which is the name of it, I guess. Which is, I mean, it's damn high-looking leg drop. I'm not going to say anything. But whatever. Uh, Paul Robinson hits the leg drop for the one, two, three, and then beats McKinnon, moves on in the tournament. And, you know, he's one of my favorites so far in progress, so I hope he goes far. I hope he wins. I hope he becomes world champion. But that being said, there's a lot of other talented guys in this tournament so we'll see we'll see how that goes but good to have that uh, constant uh you know it's a tournament clear stakes uh makes every match in that tournament count and uh like i said man just gets gives you some fresh faces to see or at least <laughs> in 2013 they were fresh like i mentioned in a previous episode will osprey was actually in this tournament as well so who knows who else we'll see but good good match there after that, we have uh, Jimmy Havoc versus Nathan Cruz. Nathan Cruz is back with his bodyguard, Fug. <laughs> He's taking on Jimmy Havoc here. And um, if you caught my last episode on progress, I, uh, I went into pretty great detail about Jimmy Havoc and the storyline they kind of have brewing for him here. So at this point, Jimmy Havoc is pretty much a deathmatch wrestler. I guess to this day, he kind of has that stigma 
along with him. But uh, back then, that was all he was. He was blood and guts. He was steel chairs. He was staple guns. That's all Jimmy Havoc was. But there was a, a big groundswell on social media for him at this point. You know, social media was able to even just get him booked initially. Um, and then once he was booked, he was able to capitalize on that and really get over with the crowd. Basically, the premise of his whole deal there is that, okay, everyone perceives me as this blood and guts deathmatch wrestler. But I want to prove that I can fit into the mold of what progress is all about. And what progress is all about is, you know, like I said, wrestling ability, the sport of it, the technical aspect, the strong style, the high flying, all of that. In between the ropes, grappling. That's what progress is about. And Jimmy Havoc seeks to prove that he can hang with anybody in that style. Although, to this, to this point, he has yet to get a win here. I think he's 0-3 at this point going into his match with Nathan Cruz. So, as far as the match goes, um, I mentioned earlier that Nathan Cruz is kind of a sports entertainer, faux WWE type of guy. And that kind of translates into his in-ring style as well. A little slow at some points, but I, the match, I think, flowed pretty well. Um, despite that, I think, uh, cause the crowd really wanted Jimmy Havoc to win here. Cause like I said, he's already gained so much sympathy and, um, has a clear, clear motivation and a clear goal set in mind. And the crowd really respects that. So they are drawn to Jimmy Havoc and they're, it's, it's easy to cheer for them. And then you have Nathan Cruz, who is easy to boo. <laughs> so it's a perfect combination there. And in that sense, I think that really helped out the match a lot. There's one point where Nathan Cruz brings in a chair, hands it to Jimmy Havoc, like, oh, yeah, here's your chair. Now you're comfortable. Hey, why don't you swing this at me? Because, you know, he's trying to get DQ'd, I guess. But then Jimmy Havoc's like, no, fuck the chair. I'm here to prove I'm a wrestler. So it's that kind of stuff that really plays into the character of Jimmy Havoc and I think really uh, speak to how, uh, you know, Nathan Cruz is trying to play into that as well and to support his character as well. And this kind of stuff, it seems kind of, you know, it could seem kind of like, why do I care about this? But at the end of the day, that's why people care about these. That's what gets people to care about wrestling is these characters and, you know, the culmination of where they're going. So good stuff there. Ultimately, uh, Jimmy Havoc has Nathan Cruz in a crossface trying to make a tap out to the crossface. But Nathan Cruz fights to his feet and is able to transition into a tombstone pile driver oof ends up getting him the win here one two three nathan cruz gets the win over jimmy havoc havoc is still a winless fuck in progress and nathan cruz is still a dick post-match we saw uh fug get involved <laughs> fucking fug choke slams jimmy havoc in the middle of the ring then all this as, you know, Nathan is on the mic talking shit to Jimmy Havoc, calling him a, I don't know, basically alluding to the fact that he belongs, you know, wrestling in backyards and all that horse shit. Tells Fug to give him a second choke slam, but this time off the second rope, which he does. Looks pretty brutal. Um, so who knows what'll come out of that, if anything long term comes out of that. But I like what I'm seeing so far from both of these guys. And even Fug. I'm a big Fug guy. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, next match, we have a tag team match. A weapons match. 
the London Riots versus the Hunter Brothers. Now, I mentioned this before in my uh, first Progress episode where the London Riots and the Hunter Brothers actually had their first match. So this match here is a rematch of that. But um, yeah, the Hunter Brothers are... Just picture the Young Bucks, but um, they both kind of look like smaller Drew McIntyres. Like young... They both look like small 2010 Drew McIntyres, if you can uh, picture that in your head. But <laughs> uh, I guess they're, I don't know if they're twins or what, but they might as well be. I don't know which one's which. Facing the London Riots, the London Riots are by far the most dominant tag team so far in progress. Undefeated and have looked like absolute monsters thus far, even getting a victory in the last chapter over... Marty Skrull and Zack Sabre Jr., two of the, the top guys there. So clearly there's a big push for these guys to be big deals in this company. And I like to see it. Just a couple of big uh, big bulls in there. Although in this match, I will say I had heat with them because of their stupid fucking orange polos they were wearing. You know, it's, it's essentially a street fight, right? So it's a come as you are kind of deal. And normally you'll see guys in jeans and, you know, wife beaters and whatever the fuck, but these guys opted to wear bright orange polos with the collars flipped up. So, how could you not hate these guys? <laughs> what heels? Uh, so yeah, like I said, it's a weapons match, so there's weapons strewed all about the ring, outside the ring for these guys to use on each other, and this match was fucking brutal. Good God. I mean... Look, this is from 2013, and even as recently as 2013, there was much less known about concussions than there is now, and CTE and all that, and having that in the back of your mind watching this in 2020 is kind of uncomfortable to watch, because man, these guys, there's hubcaps in the ring. Now, I can't tell you that I've been hit in the head with a hubcap, but... If I had to venture a guess, I'd probably say it's not that pleasant. And these guys are hitting, they're not holding back at all. These aren't gimmicked shots. They are baseball pitching these fucking hubcaps into each other's skulls, causing them to bust into a million pieces. And you, know, you, have, those, you have those, you have a guitar hero guitar get involved, not a gimmicked Jeff Jarrett balsa wood guitar a fucking plastic heavy guitar hero guitar smacking each other with it you got uh what else you got you got a keyboard you know they bring out a keyboard from under the ring uh crowd starts a qwerty chant which is pretty hilarious and then they're hitting each other with that traffic cone comes into play <laughs> that might have been the most brutal spot of the match is uh, one of the riots got uh atomic dropped asshole first onto the traffic cone man make your own joke there and <laughs> uh you got you have an xbox 360 someone got ddt'd onto that um really crazy stuff and ultimately the end of this match comes when one of the one of the hunter brothers has both of his hands taped to a ring post so he has to watch his other brother get the shit kicked out of him and the riots hit him with a few hubcaps and hit him with a double power bomb for the win. Riots get the win here and stay undefeated. 
stay dominant, stay fat. So, <laughs> but yeah, crazy, crazy stuff there. If you love brutality, if you love that kind of car crash stuff, I would give this match a watch. Definitely, albeit a little sickening to watch in modern times. It, it was, I can't say I wasn't entertained. So props to those guys for absolutely brutalizing each other. After that, we have something different. We have an interspecies match. Interspecies match. <laughs> Mike Mason versus Mexican Eagle. Now, Mike, Mike Mason is a dog. Don't ask me why. He comes out on a leash, barking. Uh, his opponents throw tennis balls, and he chases them. He's a dog. Mike Mason. Mexican Eagle. Get this. He's an eagle. But also, but also, he's Mexican. So, um... You know, I think I just laid out the the uh, the robust storytelling elements there for you guys, so you can properly understand the context of this match. Uh, <laughs> in reality, it sounds like a funny match. It sounds like a funny, silly, whatever let up match, whatever you want to call it. But in reality, it was pretty boring. It was pretty stupid, and um, the crowd didn't like it at all. They were really, really quiet and bored, which is very unlike these progress crowds so kind of shitty and from what i understand you don't see a lot of these guys going forward and i think if you watch this match you can understand why i don't even remember who won but who gives a fuck so next match we have another tag team match the bangra knights versus team defend if you remember in the last chapter uh daryl allen and rj singh reunited to form their tag team, which I guess their name is the Bangra Knights. So they're here in this chapter teaming up to face Team Defend, a team comprised of some names you might recognize from NXT UK. Mark Andrews and Eddie Dennis. What a weird pair that is. That's not who I would have guessed as a tag team, but you have little Mark Andrews and big, tall, goofy-looking Eddie Dennis teaming up here to face the Bangra Knights. And this match is fun. Really, really fun match. Uh, some silliness in the beginning. Uh, both guys were having fun. They, there was like they were both wearing a shit ton of merch, and they were doing like, like a merch trade. And I don't know, it was silly shit in the beginning. Some tongue in cheek stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Comedy kind of wrestling in the beginning, but really kicked into a high gear a few minutes in, and maintained that gear till the end. So ultimately, this match is really, really entertaining. Um, at the end of the match. The Bangra Knights hit the Bangra Buster for the win, which is essentially like, a, if you remember, Crime Time's G9 finisher. It's like a one guy has him in a fireman's carry, and the other guy comes for like a blockbuster neckbreaker off the second rope. That's the Bangra Buster, and that's what they hit on Eddie Dennis for the 1-2-3. Bangra Knights get the win in a really, really impressive showing from both guys. So hope to see both these teams again. Uh, I can say in this match specifically, I mean, it was all hard hitting. It was all really, really good stuff. But in particular, I was really impressed by Daryl Allen and Mark Andrews. Both those guys have been included on shows in the past. 
in these previous chapters, but neither guy has really had that, um, I don't know, they're, they're kind of just flippy guys, you know? Nameless, high-flying dudes, you know? But this match, they are both able to show some of their charisma and um, just seem a lot looser out there. So I think both these guys are really coming into their own and just really, even, even, to, even looking at this from a 2020 lens, some of the moves they were doing were outrageous. Um, so yeah, awesome stuff there. Definitely a match I would recommend you go check out if you are so inclined. Then after that, man, we have the Progress Championship on the line. Your champion, Legero versus Ricochet. Man, I had no idea that Ricochet wrestled for progress. So this is super cool to see a uh, very young Ricochet. It was like seven years ago. Um, this is even before his Lucha Underground stint as Prince Puma. This is before his series of matches with Will Ospreay. This is before all that. But man, holy shit, is he still just as fucking good as he is today. Honestly, I don't want to say Ricochet is better in 2013, but I will say this. He is a hell of a lot. You see, he seems more comfortable in his own skin for whatever reason. He's, you know, he's dancing around. He seems lighter on his feet. There was one point in the match where Ricochet knocks Legero out of the ring and he just <laughs> fucking starts breakdancing in the middle of the ring. Super, like, he's clearly having so much fun out there. Maybe it's because it's just such a lower scale than WWE, but Ricochet was having a lot of fun out there. He had a red mohawk. He had, like, tassels on his tights. So it was a very different presentation than what we see nowadays. But ultimately, his in-ring skills and his ability were just as good as you see on Monday Night Raw. So really, really timeless competitor in Ricochet. And Legero definitely kept up with him. You know, I mentioned this before, but Legero's kind of been an afterthought in NXT UK, so it's really cool to see him with a major as a major focal point in this promotion because he's a very talented guy. And um I think that's he's kind of directionless as far as what his character is, talking about here in progress, chapter six, because sometimes he's a heel, sometimes he's a baby face. So I feel like the crowd doesn't know whether to boo or cheer him. But he kind of works baby face in this match. And uh, as far as the match itself goes, man, it was it was amazing. It's probably the best match I've seen in these six chapters. Really, really awesome stuff. Uh, the crowd, even <laughs> the most British shit ever. They don't do a this is awesome chant. They do a fucking superb. Fucking superb. It's fucking Harry Potter bullshit up in this bitch. But um, <laughs> just kidding. But. Like I said, awesome match. If you're going to watch one match from this episode that I'm doing now, if you're going to watch one match, watch Ricochet versus Legero from Chapter 6. Really superb stuff, as the crowd would say. And I mean, dude, it just really, it just really puts into perspective how long Ricochet's been doing this. He still feels like a new face, but this is seven years ago, like I said, before Lucha Underground. So, and it shows just... Like I said, with how much fun and how charismatic he he looked in this match, it's a wonder why he doesn't get a chance to show that in WWE. Or is it a matter of 
does he get a chance to show it or does he just choose not to show it? Has he evolved, devolved, whatever the case may be, man. I hope this, this match makes me really hope that we see more from Ricochet in current day WWE. But like I said, awesome stuff back here, back in this, uh, back in the dinosaur era of 2013. So with that, that pretty much closes out chapter six. I think that pretty much closes out this episode of progress wrestling on the apron bump chapters five and six i'm honestly surprised that i talked (laughs) as as much as i did on these chapters i was honestly like man am i gonna just fucking breeze through these chapters in five minutes and have to watch 20 episodes to make an episode so i was kind of i didn't know how long how much meat on the bone was gonna be on these episodes these chapters but it turns out after especially after watching these these chapters progress is quickly gaining my emotional investment and i'm very quickly starting to understand some of the storylines and some of the characters that we're starting to see and um, i think that's a testament to how well structured this promotion is and we're still very very early on so i really really look forward to see where progress goes from here and don't worry i plan on adding some more modern alternatives as well to my uh to my apron bump schedule so basically this this is what i'm thinking right now if you if you've listened to this podcast (laughs) this far you probably you're probably willing to know what my mentality is as far as these future episodes so in progress right now we're about mid 2013 right so i'll continue to do these episodes really look forward to doing them and then once we get to a point i think it's it's somewhere in 2014 i have to um look that up but that's when over the top wrestling begins which is a promotion in ireland and that's where you've guys like jordan devlin walter David Starr, um, among others. That's where a lot of those guys cultivated their careers in the beginning. And a bunch of other awesome independent performers over there in the UK and in Ireland. A lot of really good stuff from OTT Wrestling. Really good production value as well. So I'm very interested to see what they have to offer, but I will wait. My goal is to try to get on one timeline, you know? So... I would kind of flip-flop between progress, over-the-top, and eventually MLW, Major League Wrestling. But I want to kind of watch them in parallel on the same timeline, if that makes sense. So once I review progress up to a point in 2014 where over-the-top starts, I'll begin to flip-flop back and forth, and then we'll keep doing that until we get to MLW. And honestly, guys, I'm I'm open for suggestions as far as any other modern alternatives that you would like me to review any alternatives in general really uh feel free to dm me email me or whatever um you know how to get a hold of me and i appreciate by the way i've seen a lot of support for this podcast as of late i've seen a lot of growth and it really makes me happy to see that you guys enjoy enjoy what i'm doing i think um finally starting to get a sense of where i want to take this podcast and i'm generally excited to watch you know old shows new shows stuff i've seen before and have nostalgia for stuff i haven't seen all of it is just awesome and i I like to think of this as an oasis from 
you know, the typical demos and which show was better and, oh, this guy, oh, he has heat backstage and all that fucking happy horse shit. I'm trying to get away from that and I'm trying to establish this podcast, like I said, as kind of a an island on its own, an oasis away from the bullshit. And that's how I plan to move forward and what I enjoy doing. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But anyways, once again, thank you guys very much for listening Please see apronbump.com to find all my social media, all my episodes, and gives you a easy way to subscribe on any platform that you listen to this. So once again, thank you guys for listening. I'm hard.